The sky was a brilliant blue, and the colonel wished he'd brought along his old military goggles to shield his eyes from the glare. His next-door neighbour, Thompson, a city broker, had told him over a friendly sherry the night before that his office colleagues were running a book on it proving the coldest winter of the century. The freezing weather meant that his regular morning walk had been brisker than usual, and by his reckoning, as he approached Barnes Bridge, he was probably ten minutes ahead of schedule. The ugly metal latticework of the bridge sparkled in the sun as he strode along the river path, thinking happily of the bacon and eggs awaiting him at home. When he was almost under the bridge, a large boat chugged by creating a wake, which flowed rapidly towards the shore. It was high tide, and before he had time to take evasive action, several waves splashed over the bank and onto his best tweed trousers. Swearing loudly, he turned to wave his walking stick uselessly at the boat, a working barge heading upriver. He bent down to mop his trouser legs with a handkerchief. As he rose stiffly, having made little improvement to the sodden state of his turn-ups, his eyes roved over the flotsam gently pushing up against the river bank. There was the usual mixture of empty tin cans, beer bottles, newspapers, wrapping paper, sticks and branches. However, in an area of water near the bridge, at the point where the sharp glare of the daylight became subsumed into the dark shadow of the bridge, the colonel's attention was caught by an object which, because of the intermittent dazzle, appeared as if caught in the flashing beam of a Sethmore light. He reached out with his stick and poked the whitish object a few times, but couldn't get it to move towards him. Edging closer to the water's edge, he was grasping a stanchion of the bridge for support when he heard the engine of another boat. He scrambled back up the bank and watched a small cruiser pass under the bridge on the far side of the river. There were no waves to worry about this time, and his gaze returned to the floating object. His heart pounded as he realized with horror that he was looking at a human hand, attached to a body which was slowly rising to the surface. He took a couple of very deep breaths. The body appeared to be female and clothed in pale pink underwear, but he didn't have the stomach for close analysis. The empty eye socket was enough for him. He took another deep breath and headed for the police station, which was just a short distance up the road. Detective Chief Inspector Frank Merlin stared angrily out of his window at the barrage balloon drifting aimlessly above the London County Council headquarters. He had timed his discussion with Assistant Commissioner Gatehouse badly. As he had entered his boss's office, he should have realized that something was amiss from the deep red tinge of the AC's cheeks. May I have a few words with you, sir? Yes, but a few means a few, and be sharp about it. I wondered if you'd given any further thought to my request the other day. Request? What request? Oh, you mean your request to leave me in the lurch and enlist? Uh, yes, sir. I'd like to volunteer to join up as we discussed. Merlin, I have just come from a deeply unpleasant meeting with the Commissioner and the Home Secretary. Sir John may appear in public to have the animation of an elderly Scots Presbyterian undertaker, but I can tell you that in private he has a little more vim about him. I have just been berated for over an hour on the numerous failings of the part of the Metropolitan Police under my command. Sir John Anderson tells me that while our nation currently stands at perhaps its greatest ever peril, he would sleep better at night if we, or rather I, 
would get off my backside and get a grip on, in no particular order of importance, Irish Republican bombers, pilfering dockers and factory workers, Mosleyite fifth columnists, and the numerous ruffians and thieves taking advantage of the blackout, not to mention the rocketing accident statistics caused by the murderous driving habits of most after-dark drivers. This I am required to do when I have already lost, or am about to lose, large numbers of my brightest youngsters to the forces, and several of my best senior people have been seconded into the government for security purposes. At this moment, you, probably the finest detective I have, having already done a good bit for King and Country in the last show, want to bugger off and get your head blown off with the British Expeditionary Force. But, sir... No, the answer is no.'